Well, welcome to once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this October 16th, 2020. Yeah, that's right. It's only been four days. <laughs> if you've already listened to this week's program, because it happened on Monday, you're like, you might be wondering, didn't you guys just do this? So, yes, we are joining you on this October 16th. We're debating on when whether we're dropping it tonight, tomorrow, or Monday, because... Uh, Next week, I won't be here. <laughs> I, I will not. I will be m- much closer to you than I've ever been, Rich. <laughs> I will actually. <laughs> I will actually be within a couple of states of you this uh, this time next week. <laughs> so we are we are with you, uh, uh, joining you tonight. We want to kind of wrap up the discussion we've had for the last couple of weeks. Um, we're grateful for some of the input we've gotten from you guys, but we are so thankful to have you with us. And folks, if you are new to Voice of Reason Radio, just want to thank you for joining us. This is just a program with two guys on different ends of the, the of the country talking about the things of Christ, having a conversation, and you get to be part of it. Um, you might be talking back at us. We can't hear you, just so you know. But uh, but uh, I, I know I, I constantly talk to the people on my podcast when I listen to them. Uh, Thankfully, they can't hear me because that's just disturbing. But <laughs> but uh, we do appreciate the time that you spend with us. If you have never had the opportunity, please check out our website at slavetothekeng.com. That is where the podcast, the occasional blog post, and all our social media and RSS feed links are. Which, the way things keep going, like, hey, Twitter, what was up with the totally blocking everybody the other day um you know it's getting crazy out there it is becoming more and more apparent that social media and uh, big tech is doing everything possible to uh block that which they have decided does not fit within their prescribed narrative so getting those rss feeds might be a good idea uh copying that link and having it for later when we finally do get booted from the big tech uh you know uh, links having that on hand might be just beneficial to you but that said we are grateful that you're with us we're grateful to uh, to hear from you guys and uh, we really appreciate it when you guys join us each and every week so rich how you doing my brother Brother, actually, I am experiencing something that I very rarely experience. Uh oh! I'm actually a bit chilly, <laughs> and, and and you have to understand where I live. You know, this time of the year we have all four seasons in one day. <laughs> but I'm I'm very hot natured, even in the winter. But for some weird reason tonight, I'm actually cold. I'm thinking about. Wrapping up in a blanket while we're recording, I'm, I'm that chilly tonight. Oh goodness gracious! And, um, and you know that that's a little odd coming from me because you know this, the listeners probably don't. But you know, enjoyable weather to me is like low humidity and being outside and it being about twenty degrees. Because I still say that at some point in my past, genetic experiments were run on me and they fused <laughs> penguin DNA with my own. <laughs> That's why I love the ice and the cold and the snow so much. Well, I just think you're a but, little bit warped. That's just my own opinion, though. <laughs> but I live in the worst possible part of the country for that type of climate because I'm down south. And, you know, our winters usually comprise of high humidity, rain. Down the 20s or 30s every moon, but it's generally just wet and cold and damp. Oh goodness! 
Yeah. No, that's thankfully in the uh, the high desert of northern Nevada, we don't run into the humidity quite as much. Um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't get mighty cold. Uh, we just get to avoid a lot of the, you know, um, you know the all, all the weird, you know, you know, air you can wear. <laughs> <laughs> stuff that does, that we uh that we sometimes you guys sometimes get so it gets cold but not with what you have to do so <laughs> uh now folks i'm just gonna warn you oh go ahead uh just one thing i was just go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say basically where you live there's generally no humidity as a general rule we get some humidity just not well, like I said, you don't wear the air up here. So, <laughs> um, now I'm just going to warn everybody: we've had two probing assaults by the internet gremlins tonight. Skype is giving us grief. If you heard what I just heard, where Rich warbled a little bit, um, he's been getting on his end. It sounds like somebody keeps trying to call in on Skype on his end. I don't hear the Skype uh, jingle noises. He does. So. <laughs> <laughs> the gremlins are on the assault tonight, and I guess maybe it's because they don't want us to get to this topic, which really isn't all that controversial. But uh, you know, you know, so just you know, if if we if we have some hiccups, blame the gremlins. That's all I'm saying because it's not us. It's it's you know clearly we're professionals. <laughs> I'm blaming Andrew. I think he's trying to <laughs> insert himself into this topic in this episode and. I think somehow he's tried to hack my Skype and he's trying to call in. No, knowing Andrew, I wouldn't put it past him. I just, I really would not put it past him. Um, I already know he's about to make this trip of mine over to Indianapolis. Very interesting. He's already, he's already threatened to bring the Captain America suit himself. I'm not bringing mine. You guys have no idea how complicated that suit is. That thing is not coming on board an aircraft and it's certainly not going to go on an aircraft that could lose it that was not a cheap suit so <laughs> it's not, so he's already threatening that uh you know so for him to try and invade our, our podcast tonight would not surprise me in the least so uh i do have a surprise for andrew but he has no idea what that is yet so we'll see it we'll just leave that one for him to figure out and i'll just leave it as a tease um but uh we do thank you for joining with us we do thank you for uh always allowing us this little bit of banter time and like i said please 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 be bear with us tonight uh, rich we have not had the uh, the podcast gremlins come out at us for a while so i don't know what we did to rile them up but some, somebody somebody poked a stick in their little uh their little village and they come rolling out again so <laughs> we're just gonna have to hang in there buddy <laughs> all right well like you said, though, tonight's topic really isn't, well, it is and isn't controversial. Um, if you're truly a born-again Christian, it should actually be something that's becoming not something you're striving for, but actually becoming more part of your own nature. Amen. And, you know, I'll let you take it from here, but our first, our last two shows, we've dealt with different aspects of being a mature Christian, um, you know, the characteristics of a mature Christian. But I think tonight's show is the summary of everything, not only a summary of being developed and being a full, fully mature Christian, but also something we all should be striving daily in our own 
walk in our own lives, maybe more so than some of the others, because if 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 you're growing in tonight's topic, everything else should be growing naturally. Is that a good way to? Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and uh, you know, in fact, Paul described it as one of the the it described it as the most important of of really the expressions that we have the 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 giftings and um, evidences that we show. Um, in light of that, what we're talking about is uh, love that we have one one for another, love for God, love for others. So I want to I want I want to throw this out there because I don't want to seem like I'm trying to butter you guys up or beat you guys down before we actually give this to you. Um, so we're not going to hit the topic first. I'm going to give you this news bit first uh, because I promised Nate Pickowitz we would share it tonight, and then uh, I'll let you guys think about how you can best apply what we're going to talk about and and if this see if this application would work for you here. Um, there's a GoFundMe out right now for the family of. A good friend of Nate Pickowitz, he is a fellow pastor, and um, his uh, his name is Jimmy Snowden. His son is very very ill and in the hospital right now, and a GoFundMe has been set up for him. And so we're going to put that in the link to the show notes. And just to give you a, a quick understanding of what this is, uh, again, Jimmy Snowden's a fellow pastor. He's a good friend of Nate Pickowitz. He says, and Nate you know, makes it very clear, Jimmy's a very godly man. I believe this has actually been set up by uh, either friend or family of the Snowden family, so this wasn't the Snowden family that has done it. So uh, what this says is that the Snowdens need our prayers and they need our help. I'm sorry, I have started this page for my sweet cousin Crystal and her family, uh, husband Jimmy Saint, and son James. Many of you know that James has spent his 13 years on this earth very sick and in and out of hospitals james was admitted a couple of weeks ago with some very serious issues sepsis multiple organ involvement etc he's very sick and they've been told they will not be leaving any time in the near future so this is a young 13 year old man who's had very a, a, a host of medical issues and now he's uh, dealing with sepsis and multiple organ issues etc so this is for a, a family who is serving the Lord, where the father is the pastor, and um, they're at, you know th they could use some help. So uh, you know there's more to this, but obviously they are going through a great deal. Um, the Jimmy, the you know who's the head of the family, has come to the end of his paid time. He can't leave Crystal alone around the clock. Uh, they've literally parked their camper in the uh, hospital parking lot and are taking turns. Uh, sleeping in a safe environment, according to this. So, this is you know wherever you can help, there uh, folks are asking for that. The goal that was set uh, by uh, Crystal's cousin, uh, it was Jessica Matthias. She set it at a goal of twenty thousand dollars. It's currently at sixteen. Excuse me, seventeen thousand six hundred eighty-eight. So, uh, you know, I will leave this to you. This is not in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, making you wanting you to feel bad, wanting to you feel to feel pushed. This is between you and God. If you if if God has put you in a position where you can help and you can, then consider doing it. Prayerfully consider doing it. If you can't, if you just cannot do that, this and God has not so equipped you, then pray. Pray like crazy for this family because they're going through a lot. Um, you know, whatever you you know we, we can do to help. You know, the household of God, let's try and do that. But where we are just not so equipped 
And we talked about this last week, by the way, when we talked about uh, the Philippians. There was a period of time they could not help. You know, and Paul told them, hey, God is, you know, God is, you know, taking care of me when there's plenty and when there's none. And don't panic that you couldn't help because you didn't have occasion to. If you cannot, this is not a push for you to not to, to just somehow uh, feel guilty about doing this and you need to help. But if you are so able and God has so equipped you, please consider doing this. This is a, a man who is uh, serving the Lord and his his family is in need. So that would be an expression of Christian love for those in the household of faith. So I'll put this in the show links, uh, but I wanted to put that out there. I think it's one of those things where as a church we can step up and we can help those in the church in need. This is one of the greater expressions of love that we can show. So that said, uh, Rich, getting back actually to the topic of love, um, we've been talking now three. This is our third week in a row talking about Christian maturity. We started with the idea that to even grow in maturity in Christian maturity, you have to be a Christian to begin with. You have to be humbled before God. You have to see your sin for what it is. You have to to bow the knee to Christ, recognizing you rightly should be judged for your sins. That said, you turn to Christ in repentance and you trust in him. And that humiliation that and that humbling that you uh, receive before the Lord, that gift of repentance and gift of faith, bringing you into the family of God, setting you uh, forward on your Christian walk, that's the first place we go. And then we talked about last week that as we grow in the faith, one of the most difficult things to go through, but one of the most necessary is suffering and trials that you that brings you to this point where you are just solely dependent upon the Lord. You look to God, you look to Him for provision, you are looking only at Him and not at your circumstances, not at what you don't have, not at what you do and think you need more, not at what you don't have and think you just don't have enough. But rather, no matter what the circumstances are, you are trusting wholly and completely in God as Paul did when he was writing to the Philippians saying, thank you for the gift. And I want you to know, don't feel like this was something I expected you to do because no matter what happens, God was uh, is my provider. That was showing that that ultimate mature, you know, ultimate growth and maturity where his dependence is solely upon the Lord and his promises. So, as we step forward out of this, one of the things that we want to think about is why is it Paul could say the things that he did? Why was he acting so pastorally toward the Philippians? Why did he want them to be focused not on what they could or couldn't equip him with? Why, you know, why did he care about not wanting them to worry about their their circumstances and their financial capabilities? It was because of his love for them. This, this great expression of love, this pastoral care that he had for them. And that is one of the things that I think, Rich, as we talk about maturity and we're kind of wrapping this topic up, how do we express uh, genuine Christian maturity? It is the love that we have. And you know, going back to what Jesus taught his disciples in John uh, chapter 13, he says to him, Jesus says to the uh, the disciples that um, a new command, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. How did Christ love them? 
He loved sacrificially. He loved to the point of death, putting himself on the cross for their sake and for and through them, you know, the gospel is proclaimed. That's that was his love, that sacrificial love. And he says further in verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. That if you have love one for another, is it your your doctrinal precision? No. Is it having the right denominational affiliations? No. Is it um, you know how big your, your church is? No. It's the love that you have one for another, and we'll talk about some of the expressions of that love. But everything about our Christian walk, everything about our maturity, rich, should be funneled through that lens, that love. That we have, that Christ modeled for us at the cross, that self-sacrificial love, where it is, you know, not holding on to everything that I want to hold on to, not worried about my reputation, not worried about what I have or don't have, but whether or not I have sacrificed myself for the betterment of those whom God has put in my path. That is one of the. the that is the I think pinnacle of Christian maturity where we have so become dependent upon God that we are showing love for those who he has put in our lives. So would you say that's a, a good way to explain that? Oh, absolutely, brother. And um, I'll turn it back over to you, but let's go ahead and share what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has to say because Paul summarizes all of that very beautifully in that portion of scripture and it it should be our defining guidepost as we study the bible as we study things of christ as we pray and sadly especially online we see the more times than not we see the opposite of what we are actually commanded to be doing in christ one thing we're to be building up the brothers and sisters in Christ, not tearing them down. Mm -hmm. And sadly, in today's world, even among professing Christians, it seems like um, you know people are more interested in in the the juicy gossip type mm -hmm. stuff and the slam fest go that goes on between different ministries and different pastors. And we we tend to completely lose focus on what we should truly be focusing on, and that is the love that Christ not only commands us to exhibit, but also, you know, the responsibility and the gift mm -hmm. that it is, because without love, no matter how many years we spend in seminary, no matter how much biblical knowledge we have, no matter how many verses of Scripture we can quote, it's all useless without the love that Christ commands us to put on, to to live in, to be an expression of, because in, in another portion of Scripture, it talks about love one another so that the world knows that you are in me, that our actions, our attitudes, our speech are to glorify Christ in our love for one another, and not in the things of the world. Amen. Amen. You know, it's it's funny because you talk about, you know, in the you know that our love is for one another. It's not for the love, not love for the things of the world. When you look at what Paul writes in Galatians chapter five, you start with verse sixteen. Paul writes to them, 
but hey, I brother yeah before you get to that let's backtrack let's do first Corinthians because I think that's actually the primary that segues into Galatians um okay yeah we can do that I just wanted to point one thing out but yeah I think I think we will do that let me jump over real quick I got the wrong page up so um Paul when he describes what love is he he's speaking to the Corinthians about the gifts and uh, their expression and their use. And he starts in, in chapter 13 by saying, If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a, claiming, a clanging symbol. Now, he's being a bit hyperbolic. You know, I, I think sometimes we, you know, within certain circles, we like to say, you know, tongues of men and angels. We think there's this angelic prayer language. That's not what he's talking about here. He's being a bit hyperbolic as if to say, if I could speak every possible language, even the uh, tongues of angels, but I didn't have lung, uh, uh, love, I can't talk all of a sudden, um, I'm no better than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's, it's, it's worthless. It wouldn't matter how many tongues I could speak. If he and he says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So it, no matter how much I can speak forth the truth, no matter how much knowledge I have of the word of God, no matter how, uh, how precise my theological doctrines are, if I have so much faith, as Christ said, that I could literally move a mountain through faith, but I had no love to you know to show or give to those whom God has put before me. It's worthless, and we've seen that. Rich, you 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 were just talking about the online stuff that we see. I mean, there there's been even in the last couple of weeks, and we won't get into that debate because I want nothing to do with it. But just the kerfuffle that happened over how somebody you know explained something in the language that they used. There was some bad, bad you know the uh, evidences of how we treat one another expressed. Um, it's, it's, it's not an expression of love. Now we'll talk about, there are good, there are love does correct of love does rebuke. That's not what I'm, I'm saying, but how we treat one another lacking that love, having precision in our doctrine and having enough faith that we could do anything, but we don't have love for someone. It's worthless. It's useless. He says, if I give away all that I have, and I, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, what, I gain nothing. What is the point of being a martyr if the only reason you do it is to say, I'm right, for example? If I'm not giving up everything so that I'm serving God, if I am willing to be burned because, well, I was right and you were wrong, but rather, I instead, I'm willing to be burned at the stake because I will do nothing but serve my Lord. And if it means my life, and it means you know building up others and pointing them to Christ, then I'm willing to make that sacrifice. That's worthy of something. But giving up everything just because I can say I gave it all up, that, that has nothing. So then there's the verse that everybody wants to use at their wedding. You know, call it the wedding passage. Well, it's not for weddings. Hate to burst your bubble, but it's not. Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love is, patience and kindness is an expression of love. Now, how, how much patience do we show 
in our current culture, Rich, especially with the online give-it-to-me-now instant gratification of social media. It is not something we show a lot of, do we? Oh, absolutely not. It's, in fact, it's the complete opposite. We want it all. We want it now. We want it our way. I want you to think like I think. I want you to say what I think you ought to say. I want your opinion to match mine, and I want it all now. Exactly. Do it now. Exactly. We, so patience, a willingness to spend time on this, to spend time in service to the Lord, to, to not want the rewards now, not, to not want the recognition now, to not worry about those things, to not expect people to get you know bow to your brilliance or immediately drop to the knees in, in uh, you know, abject repentance because you evangelized to them right this second. Love is demonstrating patience and kindness, willing to work through these things. I, I, I've said this before. Vody Balcom talks about how when he was in high school, his mother was a sing, he had a single mother who was a Buddhist. He knew nothing of Christianity. But by the time he was in high school, a friend is patiently week after week after week working him through the scriptures, teaching him. That is patience. That is kindness. That's the you know giving up his time. To love Vody Balcom, who we all kind of recognize as the man is brilliant when it comes to the scriptures. But that's because somebody had the patience to work him through and the, and the love to do these things. Uh, does not envy or boast. Um, if we go back to what Paul said and we are satisfied in God's provision, do we really need, feel the need to have what other peoples have or boast over others what I have if you don't? It's not arrogant or rude. Twitter, do I need to say anything more? Um, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Think about that. Rich, we have these theological conversations online all the time. We get into political conversations, especially around this time of year. We get into all kinds of discussions with people and we insist, I'm right and you need to do it my way. We don't take time to listen we don't take the time to work through issues and by the way parents hey just before this show started i probably got to go talk to my son and apologize a little bit i got on his case pretty good about something because he did something i didn't think he should have done and yes i corrected him but i was probably inappropriately terse with him why because i'm insisting upon my own way right so it's one of those things that we love people, we instruct people, we correct people, we even rebuke people. But we're not going to be irritable. We're not going to be resentful that people didn't do things the way we wanted them done. We're going to trust that God is using this circumstance not only for the betterment of the person whose God has put before us, but for me as well. Because if I love the Lord and I love the persons who, with whom I'm working, I'm going to show that by not getting bound up in my own attitude and my own heart. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Now, this one, I think, Rich, we gotta we got to really think about in this day and age. You and I both know there's every one of us wants to cheer when somebody gets caught doing something wrong and they are just a hater of the gospel. You know, we, we should not rejoice when wrongdoing gets exposed and we go, ha, you got what you had coming to you. 
we really should rejoice in truth because the truth exp- is God's revelation of somebody, perhaps somebody's sin or uh, the fact that what has been said is untruthful and wrong and it, it needed exposure. But we don't rejoice because somebody got caught being wrong or they're wrong and, we, and they're going to get their hand slapped. But we rejoice because the truth, which is you know, a, an attribute of God, has been revealed and he is glorified when truth is revealed. And so we want people who are in the wrong to be held accountable, not because you got it coming, but rather that you have been exposed to the truth. Your lie, your sin has been exposed, and now you stand before God exposed, and now you are in a place where you can be, you know, either hardening your heart further and bringing further judgment upon yourself, or you can repent. And so we should, and, and when we're dealing with Christians especially, we should never rejoice that our brothers and sisters did, did something wrong and got, and got caught. We should be grateful that God has exposed their sin so that they can come to a place of repentance. But we shouldn't get excited about them getting in trouble. So just one of those things, we want to rejoice in truth. We want to rejoice when the truth is exposed in a person's life and they are drawing closer to God and we have a pl- an opportunity to work in their lives and minister to them and, and glorify God. But we shouldn't get all excited that somebody gets caught doing something wrong. And then he goes on to say, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then in verse 8, love never ends. Rich, actual love for our brethren. We're bearing through these things. We believe all that God has ta- told us, that he, is, that he is sovereign over all things, that as we are ministering in people's lives, that we are doing as we have so ta- often talked before about the gifts that God gives us, that we're using them for the edification of the body. We're using them for to call the lost uh, to salvation. We believe all those things. We believe God will work in, in them and do what is right and good and it will glorify them and be what's best for his people. We believe that and we hope in all things and all the things in which he has promised that he has proclaimed. We put all our hope in that and we endure through all of it with the church, with the body of Christ. We're not solo Christians. We're not just going to, I'm going to stand out here by myself and then just endure it. We endure this together. We love one another. We build each other up. We hope together. We love together. We believe these things together and we do it for the glory of God. And as you know, and that love, that genuine love, which is a gift of God that he pours into us through the Holy Spirit, that is never going to go away. Genuine biblical love doesn't go away. It's going to be there. It is going to grow and it's going to be an evidence of your maturity. And it is one of the most important things that we can express. Um, Rich, uh, thoughts on that? Well, brother, um, as you were saying in verse 8, it says love never ends. But if you'll jump down to verse 13, that reads, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So, I mean, Scripture makes it clear throughout all the different chapters that love is the most prominent attribute that we should not only be striving for, but praying for and living for. And I have some really, really great notes I found 
from J.C. Ryle on the subject. And if you would, please make sure you have the link to this article in our show notes. This was actually part of a, of, of a four-part article. This is from part four, but I would encourage the listeners to read this entire portion that J.C. Ryle wrote and then backtrack and read the other three. They, they are very long, but it is well, well worth your time and effort in reading it. And I, I would love to be able to read this entire portion online, but it would, it would actually take the entire show to, to read it. But um, I went through and I marked a few highlights that I really think jump out or they actually jumped out to me that really apply to the subject that we're discussing on this episode. But in this, J.C. Ryle wrote, the words of Paul on this subject are distinct and unmistakable. He winds up his wonderful chapter on love in the following manner. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This expression is very remarkable. Of all the writers in the New Testament, none certainly exalts faith so highly as Paul. The epistles to the Romans and Galatians abound in sentences showing its vast importance. By faith, the sinner lays hold on Christ and is saved. Through faith, we are justified and have peace with God. Yet, here the same Paul speaks of something which is even greater than faith. He puts before us the three leading Christian graces and pronounces the following judgment on them. The greatest is love. Such a sentence from such a writer demands special attention. What are we to understand when we hear of love being greater than faith and hope? We're not, su- we're not to suppose for a moment that love can atone for our sins or make our peace with God. Nothing can do that for us but the blood of Christ. And nothing can give us a saving interest in Christ's blood but faith. It is scriptural ignorance not to know this. The office of justifying and joining the soul to Christ belongs to faith alone. Our love and all our other graces are all more or less imperfect and cannot stand the severity of Christ's judgment when we have done all we are unprofitable servants. When we have done all we are unprofitable servants, reference in Luke 17.10, we're not to suppose that Christian love can exist independently of faith Paul did not intend to set up one grace in rivalry to the other. He did not mean that one man might have faith, another hope, and another love, and that the best of these three was the man who had love. The three graces are inseparably joined together. Where there is faith, there will always be love, and where there is love, there will always be faith. Sun and light, fire and heat, ice and cold are not more intimately united than faith and love, but Love is called the greatest of graces because it is the one in which there is some likeness between the believer and his God. God has no need of faith. He is dependent on no one. There is none superior to him in whom he must trust. God has no need of hope. To him all things are certain, whether past, present, or to come. But God is love, and the more love his people have, the more similar they are to their Father in heaven. And the next section is a little bit long, but I'll shorten it out. Love for another thing is called the greatest of the graces because it is the most useful to others. But love is preeminently the grace which makes a man useful. 
It is the spring of good works and kindness. It is the root of missions, schools, and hospital, hospitals. Love made apostles spend and be spent for souls. Love raises up workers for Christ and keeps them working. Love smooths quarrels and stops strife, and in this sense covers a multitude of sins. Love adorns Christianity and recommends it to the world. A man may have real faith and feel it, and yet his faith may be invisible to others. But a man's love cannot be hidden. And, brother, it goes on, but, I mean, it's just absolutely wonderful in the way that J.C. Ryle goes on in describing love and the different attributes of love. But one thing that really jumped out at me is the two facts that love will follow us into heaven where once in heaven we will need no faith or hope but love will follow us into heaven and i think someone once said that a man without love would be miserable in heaven because he 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 would not be accustomed to being around love or being in love and the other that really jumps out and if you think about it out of all the graces love is what makes us useful by our Lord for other people. Because is it not out of love that we teach, that we preach, that we evangelize, that we train up our children, that we try to strive to exhibit the characteristics that Christ gave us while he walked here on earth? Granted, faith and hope are very important, but without love, faith and there is no evidence of faith or hope and i just think this is just some a remarkable piece by jc rowell that words and some some of this up so well what do you think absolutely i i, I like what ryle says is that it's not it it's they're not compete competing um they're not uh competing attributes they're not competing evidences they are complementary they, they they must go together. Yet, as you said, in heaven, you know, you go back to Hebrews eleven one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All you know, all these things we 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 take by faith in what God's promise is. When He says, "If we trust in Christ, we have faith in His completed work will be redeemed." We hope for the day that we will be not hope like oh gee i hope this happens but hope for in the sense of we are putting our our faith and our trust in that day when we are brought face to face with our savior but in that day we no longer have to uh, trust by faith we no longer have to hope in those things they will be fulfilled but as you say love that we will have with our Savior will be eternal. We will we will actually experience God's love in its fullness, and we will love fully. You, you know, so the idea that you can have these as some sort of competitive attributes, um, some some sort of competing uh, competing, uh, you know, pieces against each other, absolutely correct. When uh, when Ryle says that's the furthest thing from Paul's mind. So when someone says, "Oh well, love is the greatest thing," you know, it, they're not. You know, the, we need we should not be treating it as though love is somehow 
so much more important than faith, for example. Because without faith, we can't have uh, salvation in Christ. That's the mechanism by which we're saved. You don't have genuine love without faith. So you don't have genuine biblical love. But the fact that Ryle points to this thing and says it is what is most it is makes us most like God because we now can love in a way that is as we are for example as husbands we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her Christ's love was sacrificial he put himself on the cross for his bride and in the same way Husbands are to love their wives that way. That's sacrificial love. You can't do that apart from God. Okay, you know, people can show love for somebody and they can sacrifice. Like a parent can sacrifice for their children. But not in the way that God sacrificed. And without God's indwelling presence in us, we will never be like that. So when we have faith and when we are redeemed, we are made most like God because when we exhibit that kind of love that can only be in the life of a believer, we are made more like our Savior. And that's amazing to think that God communicates and gives us this ability to die to self, to love Him and to love others in a self-sacrificing way where we care more about him and his glory and his desires for mankind and putting ourselves on the line, our relationships, even our safety when it comes to doing the things of God, you can't do that apart from him. So the idea that it makes us more like God, that is amazing. And then... Well, considering... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, no, no. Finish, finish, finish. I was just going to say, you know, considering our topic is is showing, you know, maturity in Christ. Love, you know, is a summation of everything else. And the only way we can grow in maturity as it pertains to love is to know Christ and to know him better. And we will never truly love, much less trust someone we don't know. And sadly, most American evangelicals today rarely, if ever, read their Bible or pray or do anything that actually grows them and matures them in Christ. And while, you know, we cannot manufacture a false love on our own, there are things that as Christians we can look to and be doing to nurture our love for Christ and to nurture our love for others. And, you know, being able to look back, you know, over the last 10 years since I've been saved, I can see areas where I have grown and have improved and matured in this area when it comes to truly loving others as Christ loved us. But, you know, I'm by nowhere, no means close to where I'd like to be. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's one of those things. If you, if, if, as husbands, you and I, if we tell our wives we love them without ever expressing that love in something other than just words, would they truly believe that we actually loved them if we ignored them, if we avoided coming home, if we avoided being around them, if we avoided talking to them, if we never read letters that they wrote to us 
and yes, Chris and I are old enough to remember receiving letters. <laughs> Our wives would never truly believe that we actually loved them without action. And to my, that kind of reminds me back to what James said about um, faith without works is a dead faith. Well, love without active love is a dead love. Amen. And I think that's when, when Ryle says it is the most useful to, you know, it is the gift that is most useful to others. That's what he's talking about. You know, that we are putting our, our time and our energy into someone for a reason. That we are giving of ourselves. That we're putting ourselves to the side and putting someone else first. This idea that we esteem others as better than ourselves. Um, you know, in this world, I mean, think about it. What's, what's going on? What the huge debates right now? The, the, uh, the chanting in the streets. It's all about, I'm not getting the justice I think I should get. Now, some might say, well, no, no, I'm doing this for that group. But it's still about promoting you, you and your view. It's not about truly loving. I mean, it's how hard is it to go into the street and hold up a sign versus going into a community, giving up all that you own, giving up all that you have, setting up a building where you're going to minister to people, provide for people's needs, counsel them, comfort them, be available 24-7. That's what people who have planted churches and missions and hospitals and adoption agencies have done for generations. You, yeah, you can go into the street and chant no justice, no peace and say, see, I love people. Or you can do something where nobody will ever know your name. Nobody will ever hear of you. You won't have a podcast or a Twitter account or a book deal or be seen on, on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News. And yet, Every single day of your life, you're doing something for other people. And in the life of a Christian, hey, here's one for you for you moms or you dads. You, you might think, I can never do what my pastor does. I can never be a John MacArthur. I can never be a Steve Lawson. I can never be uh, you know, the, the guys who do these who write these books. Guess what you don't have to be? a John MacArthur, a Steve Lawson, a, book, a guy on a book tour or anything else. You don't have to be a podcaster or a blogger. You can be a mom or a dad and pour your life into your children and your spouse out of your deep love for God and the people he's put in your life. And you've done so sacrificially, not for your own glory, not for your own recognition, because nobody ever gets to hear about you. You show up to work every day. You do a, you put 110% into your job because you love God and you're grateful for the job he's given you. And you pour your life into others. And so what Ryle says, it is the most useful to others. When we die to self and pour our lives into someone else, and we're showing kindness and mercy and grace and providing for people and giving up of ourselves, people are receiving the love of God through you. Rich, that is, 
you know, I don't, I think when Ryle, or when Paul writes, I'm saying I'm stuck on Ryle at the moment, when Paul writes <laughs> that out of faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love, that's what he's talking about. We, we get to experience this love for eternity, we get to be made more like our Savior, and we get to be the instrument by which God pours love into life of other people in a practical, tangible way. I mean, everybody's screaming about we need to get, you know, let, let's reformat the government so people, I mean, I had a person get upset with me because of who I'm voting for and saying, how dare you? And I said, well, because the Democrats oppose everything that the scriptures stand for. Well, do they really? Because they care about the poor. No, they don't care about the poor. What they care about is taking from somebody who they think has too much and giving to somebody so that they get their vote. That's what the Democrats do. They're not actually providing, and they're not showing love, and they're not helping anyone. They're creating dependence, and they're they're uh, you know they're they're creating a system where everybody will be equally poor, but nobody's being provided for. But genuine Christian love, Rich, man, we we give of ourselves because we love. We don't pass it off to some faceless government entity. We do it ourselves. We we go into a person's life and we pour that out into them. That's what maturity well, should show. Well, obviously, you know, the starting point is completely understanding the difference between Christian love and worldly love, mm -hmm. because the world today demands that we love what it loves, which is more times than not, completely unbiblical. So, you know, we, the starting point, we first have to understand what Christian love is and what the Bible means by love in its different applications. Because, you know, so many people think today that, well, you know, you got to show love for homosexuals by accepting them and their behavior. No, that's not biblical. We're to exercise biblical love for someone we know that is practicing sin the most loving thing we can do is share the gospel with them and pray for them and leave the results to God. Amen. But there are some, you know, that we kind of drift in a little, a little bit from what we're talking about when it comes to mature Christian love. There's another section here, and I know we've only got about 10 minutes left, but there's another section, and this is coming again from J.C. Ryle's notes, but I think it's a very good segue into closing out tonight. Mm -hmm. It says, look at your own, and, and this is kind of a gut check. This is something we each can take to heart and use it to examine our own love and our own maturity and Christian love. And if we're growing or if we're stagnant or if we're not showing any growth at all, this is a good heart check here. It says, look at your own daily life both at home and abroad, and consider what place Christian love has in it. What is your temper? What are your ways of behaving towards all those around you, and especially those in your own family? What is your manner of speaking, especially in seasons of vexation and provocation? Where is your good nature, your courtesy, your patience, your meekness, your gentleness, your forbearance, where are your practical actions of love in your dealing with others? What do you know of the mind of him who went about doing good, who loved all, though especially his disciples who returned good for evil and kindness for hatred and had a heart wide enough 
to feel for all, and that's speaking of Christ. And remember the words of Paul, let all your things be done with love. Love should be seen in little things as well as in great ones. Remember not least the words of Peter, have fervent love among yourselves, not a love which just keeps light, but a burning, shining fire which all around can see. It may cause pains and trouble to keep these little things in mind. There may be little encouragement from the example of others, but persevere. Love like this brings its own reward. And I'm going to let I'm going to go ahead and close out and let Chris have the last five or ten minutes of the of the show, and he can kind of answer back to some of what I'm about to say. But we need to also remember that as a Christian, we start to learn to hate the things that we used to do. We start doing what we love to do because we've been given a new nature and a new heart, meaning we start to love more and more the things of Christ. But there's one thing and one example, or two examples actually, that to me jump out from the pages of Scripture as prime examples of the type of love we should be exhibiting towards one another and the type of love we should be straining and straining to strive for as mature Christians. First, I'm going to use Stephen in the books of, in, from the book of Acts. As Stephen is being stoned to death, right before he lays down and breathes his very last breath, the last thing that comes out of Stephen's mouth was, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In his very last breath, Stephen is begging the Lord to forgive those that are stoning him to death. And I can't imagine how painful it would be to actually be stoned to death. I've been hit by a rock, and it hurts. But can you just imagine how excruciating that pain must be? And you know that your breath is leaving your body. You're laying down to die. But with your last dying breath, you're begging Christ to forgive those that just murdered you? That is just unfathomable in our minds today. That we would actually, as we die, or if we're walking down the street and somebody guns us down with our last breath, would we actually beg Christ to forgive the person that just murdered us? And I'm, I'm asking this, Chris, don't answer, but I'm just asking this not only to you, but to our listeners. Ask yourself, do you possess that type of love that would enable you to beg Christ to forgive someone that just murdered you? But more importantly, are we capable or do we even come close to exhibiting the type of love that Jesus Christ himself carried with him while he was on earth? And believe it or not, for me, as I read through this, one of the greatest examples of Christian love is Judas. Okay, now don't turn off your, <laughs> don't turn off the podcast. Hold on, folks. Hold on. I've, I've not, I've not gone crazy. I'm making a point here. Keep in mind, Jesus was the Lord and Savior walking here on earth. There was nothing beyond his knowledge. For nearly three years, he had Judas with him. He fed Judas. He talked to Judas. He walked with Judas. They, they, you know, slept in the same areas together. They fished together. They talked together. They laughed together. They walked together. But more importantly, look at John 13. When Christ entered 
the room in the upper room prior to eating of the Passover, the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed and hand over to the to the sinners to the to the religious elite of the Jewish time. Prior to that happening, Jesus went in. He ate with his apostles, and this includes Judas. But more importantly, he washed the feet of Judas just as he did the rest of the apostles. Jesus Christ, for around three years, did all of this with Judas in his presence. He exhibited God's love and the Savior's love towards Judas. That in itself may not be remarkable, but keep in mind, from the moment Christ called Judas, Christ knew that Judas would betray him. My challenge and question to you is not necessarily would you forgive someone that is going to betray you. If you had foreknowledge of that betrayal, would you forgive them before the act was ever even committed as Christ did? Because Christ, and during the time of this, you have to remember that washing someone's feet is about the lowest, most degrading, most humiliating chore a person could perform for another person. Christ washed the feet of Judas, knowing within just a little while after that, that he would tell Judas if, to go ahead and leave and go do what he's about to do. Keep that in mind. Christ washed the feet of Judas prior to Judas betraying him. And more importantly, from the time Christ called Judas, he knew what Judas was going to end up doing. Throughout that time, Christ knew Judas was a thief. He knew he was a backstabber. He knew Judas was going to betray him. But throughout that time, Christ treated Judas the same as he treated all the rest of his disciples. He treated him with love and taught him and tried to guide, well, not tried, but he did guide him. Christ knew that Judas would betray him because it was foretold in the Old Testament, but he never once complained. He never once spoke ill of any of, of, he never spoke ill of Judas. He never spoke ill of those that were torturing him and questioning him. And you, you read his response to Pilate. He just basically didn't answer him. But to me, the greatest example of Christian love is knowing that someone is going to do something that causes us not only bodily harm, but excruciating an excruciating death. But yet Jesus washed the feet of Judas knowing what was going to happen. Let that sink in and let that carry over into your daily life. And we, we have no foreknowledge. We, can't, we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, much less an hour from now. But if we truly want to be mature Christians and be mature in love as Christ, that is prominent. One prominent thing that we have to really show enough, pray and strive for, is to be able to truly forgive those that persecute us, that speak ill of us, that are saying and doing things to harm us, that are, you know, in, at work or even in family life, we're betrayed. But yet, Christ commands us to not only continue to love those people, but to forgive them, even if they don't ask for forgiveness. Is that not amazing, brother? That, that's an amazing expression of love. And, 
And you're absolutely right when you think about, you know, Stephen, who stood before the Sanhedrin, gave them a history lesson, gave the Sanhedrin a history lesson, and then called them out for the sin that they had committed, uh, the same sin of their forebearers. So angry are they that they take him, take them out and stone him. And as you said, as he's being stoned, as he is, you know, uh, you know, preparing to leave this life, his concern is for not that he was mistreated, not that what happened to him was unjust, but that for those who were killing him, in fact, one man stood there and watched and consented and held the cloaks of the the uh, the the leader, you know, the the um, Jewish leadership, Saul of Tarsus. He's so concerned for them. He call, you know, he prays that God would forgive them. And guess what? Saul of Tarsus, breathing fire, wanting to kill Christians, is saved because God, in His mercy, saves the man who held the cloaks of the men killing. The first martyr of the church. Yeah, that's an amazing level of love. And you're right, when it comes to Christ, the amount of mercy that he showed Judas, the one who would betray him. He could have snapped his fingers and wiped him out of existence, cast him straight into hell. And for three years... As Judas stole from the you know the little uh, amount of money that they had, as he criticized people who ex you know who a woman who broke open an alabaster box to anoint Jesus's head because he'd rather have had the money and see instead of go to waste, as he plotted for Jesus's death, Christ does not do this but shows mercy upon this man, knowing that he would stand in judgment one day, knowing that the greatest sin of all to, to betray the Savior was about to be committed, he is merciful and kind and washes his feet, as you pointed out, Rich. Can we say that today we have shown that kind of love to anyone? I think you're right, Rich. That's, that's a powerful question. Have we shown that kind of love? How would that change your daily walk? You walk into work and you've got that coworker or that boss that just torments you. That you just know is trying to get you fired even though you've done nothing wrong. And yet you just show love to them. You're merciful to them. You do things for them even though they don't deserve it. You could stand up to them and call them out and yell at them and all kinds of stuff. It would be justified. But you're merciful. You've got that family member that just makes your life a nightmare. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a, uh, a close relative. Maybe it's a child or a parent. And all you want to 
do is get in their face and say, how dare you do this to me? And you pray, Lord, forgive them. And you just love this person. Not a love that doesn't correct. Not a love that doesn't call out sin. Not a love that doesn't preach the gospel. But you love them. And it's evident in the way you speak. And the way you treat them. And even when you tell them, no, I won't let you do, I won't do this for you because you're being manipulative. It's clear that you do it out of the genuine concern for their well-being, not because you're tired of being messed with. How would it affect your online presence? Think about it in this, now what, what are we away from? About two weeks, Rich? Two and a half weeks from election? And how we treat more like that. Yeah, I mean how we treat one another. I've seen, I think, three separate pictures now of something that just it just amazes me to see. Shouldn't amaze me, but it did. And it's people wearing a shirt or a button or holding a sign, standing next to one another, smiling, and each has a Biden or a Trump sign, shaking hands and treating each other like a human being. Now that's a little bit different, obviously. It's a political issue. But that is express that's an expression of love for another human being, recognizing we don't agree on this issue, but we can treat each other respectful. Now imagine how we could do that as Christians online when we're dealing with some contentious issues. Sometimes deeply theological issues that, hey, this is right, and this is almost right, and the almost right is going to lead someone to hell or into false theology. And, and you know what? It's loving to tell the truth. You're right. It is loving to tell the truth. Can you be loving when you're lovingly t- uh, telling someone the truth? <laughs> because that needs to be expressed too. You can lovingly correct someone, and you can love them by correcting them. Can we do that? Can we have that deep-seated love for another creation, someone made in the image and likeness of God, can we do that? How would your life be transformed by showing the love and mercy, just as rich example, but with how Christ was toward Judas, his betrayer, and how Stephen was to those who murdered him for his faith? How much love can you muster today? How much humility do you need to have, going back to our first episode of this? How much maturity as you go through suffering can you grow in? And how can you evidence that maturity by the love that you have for your Savior and for the people he puts in your life? Those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. We've spent three weeks... And I know this is not the, 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 the most exciting of topics. We see the numbers. <laughs> but it's the important topics sometimes. Maybe they don't get the flashy banner ads. But there's somebody listening to this who's growing right now in their faith because they're thinking about something that, you know what, Lord, you've opened my eyes. And it's not because Rich and I have said anything profound. Everything we've talked about is already something somebody's either written in Scripture or has talked about, like J.C. Ryle. 
we're just kind of bringing it together. It's not because of us. It's because God is right now talking to somebody through this and is bringing them back to Scripture and showing them where they need to love someone. And so, I'm good with that. I'm good that this isn't a big headline topic. I want someone to be encouraged, to be edified, to be built up. And I hope we've accomplished that for the last three weeks. I don't know what next week's will be. You know, my eyes will be spinning from lots of time on an airplane by the time I get back. I'll be getting back at like midnight on the you know, uh, on a Sunday. Not midnight going into Sunday, Monday going actually going into Monday, but <laughs> speaking of which, we will post an update at, at this moment. Um Chris Chris will be at the conference this week. So sometime between now and Friday of let's see, I have to look at the dates. Sometime between now and October thirtieth, we will have another new episode. We might end up posting a rerun between now and then just to remind you that we're out here and we exist (laughs) um maybe chris can schedule our posting maybe a rerun for say sometime around the 26th and then once chris comes back from the conference and has time to get his notes and his interview recordings yeah that, together if I, if I can, can it's just gonna be depending you know some of these guys may run when i show up because i've already warned everybody i'm gonna like fanboy like crazy when i get there but <laughs> well i expect you to be like one of these old time reporters that you see in like a 50 year old television <laughs> show just going around with everyone with a microphone and recorder just asking millions of questions <laughs> I will see what I can accomplish, and I will see who can spare me a few minutes of their time. Well, I, I saw the <laughs> list of speakers. There's going to be some really great brothers and sisters speaking yep. at this conference. Um, Michelle Leslie will be doing a, a, a women's breakout session, and I know that our brother Justin Peters is, is scheduled to be there and to speak. And um, I forget all the others, but there were so many um, and our knucklehead friend Andrew will be there. And if 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 you're not familiar, Chris, Andrew, and I we we tease each other, but it's always out of love and and mutual friendship. And um, just in case you ever see us teasing one another, it's never mean spirited. It's always out of out of out of just just fun because all three of us. I have met Andrew. Chris has met Andrew. <laughs> I've never met Chris, and Chris has never met me. So it's just bizarre. It is weird. It is weird. I wait. I, I thought we, we're we're supposed to be teasing Andrew. We're not. That's we're not actually supposed to be serious. Is that? Is oh, that's the agreement. Sorry, I got to work on that. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, that's the weird part about this, brother. Uh, I've I've actually. Spent more time face to face with Andrew than I ever have with you, and you and I have been podcasting for about seven years, and we've yet to come face to face. God has got know, a there, sense of humor. <laughs> there, there may be others out there in the podcast world that have a similar 
situation, but you know, considering the amount of time between two different <laughs> podcast shows that you and I have been on, and the fact that we have never met in person, but there are so many people that we have both met in person, but yet never met each other in person. <laughs> That's what's the bizarre thing out of all of this. It's just the, the, the Lord is yet to bless us with an opportunity to both of us attend an event that we're both going to be at at the same time. Um, yeah. And I think part of that is because we are separated by an entire country. Yeah. So, you know, th- that makes it a little <laughs> bit more difficult as well. Amen. Amen. It sure does. All right. All right, so we will see what we can do to figure out what next week will look like. We appreciate your patience uh, you know, as we try to figure out and dial in the perfect day of the week to drop these episodes. It, we were starting to think we were just going to keep back, go back to the weekend, but it looks like it's going to probably be, I mean, I know, I know I said earlier in the show we were trying to decide what day. Well, it looks like it's going to be Monday, I think, as we've gone on with this. I think Monday is going to be the day we drop it. Um, but we really appreciate your patience with us, and we really appreciate the amount of time you spend with us. Some of you guys are very kind uh, and, and very um, gracious to not only put us on your podcast dial, but also to share it and, and, and put it out there and, and to put it out on other people's uh, recommended list. Um, it was kind of funny. I, I forget who it was that I've, I was joking with them online about, you know, they hit so many downloads and I said, well, you, you, you've way past us. I said, we're, we're only at such and such number. And he goes, that's odd because every time I see a list, you guys are on it. <laughs> so you guys are so kind and so gracious to put us out there. But, um, we, we will continue to keep doing what we're doing because I think the Lord has been gracious to us to let us do it. And we want to continue to, be a blessing to others. Uh, we, we've always said, and I say it again, two goals. Number one is to glorify God, and uh, and the second is always to to edify the saints. And if we can do that in some way, even if it's one person, a hundred, you know, a thousand, or, or you know, whatever the Lord allows us to be heard by, we're going to continue to do that. So we're grateful for it. We're grateful for your time. We will talk to you in, in a. a well, pseudo live because you guys don't listen live. We record and post, but uh, we'll be back probably in the next uh, week and a half to two weeks to do, uh, to do an updated program with and fill you in on everything that went on at the uh, the, the the cruciform conference. Uh, their their topic is holiness, and I am just astounded at the sheer volume of uh, speakers for a two day conference. And with a one day or one afternoon pre-conference on the issue of abortion, and at least two uh, things uh, going on are podcast recordings for the guys over at Matter of Theology and Michelle Leslie's uh, podcast, uh, 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 Word Fitly Spoken. Sorry, Michelle, I, my brain went blank for a second. Uh, but so two podcast recordings and I, so many sessions and so many speakers. I have no idea how I'm going to get in all this in, and I'm taking my wife with me. I can't wait. I just am not looking forward to spending hours upon hours in a metal tube with a whole bunch of people with face diapers on our faces. Yay, that just sounds like so much fun. Anyway, beyond that, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, and uh, be kind to Rich while I'm gone. Uh, you know, it, you know, he's he's going to be manning things by himself because 
I'm going to be stuck in a metal tube with the feet, well, a whole bunch of other people with face diapers on their faces until we get to Indianapolis. So I won't be able to do much. So. <laughs> but uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your prayers. As always, we appreciate those. We look forward to speaking with you next time. God bless. Good night. And folks, go love God and love your neighbor. We'll see you next time.